presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports story. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. I'm Darren Millar, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Today, you will hear from newly crowned Vesna Trophy winner, Connor Hellebuck. A conversation between Woodley and the Winnipeg Jet goaltender that took place just after Hellebuck learned that he was the National Hockey League's top goaltender for 2019-2020. We'll also check out uh, what uh, Cam is up to over at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, and uh, we'll, we'll look at the Bauer Ultrasonic Pad uh, this week on the gear segment. But uh, out of the gate, gentlemen, we are into the Stanley Cup Final, and after all that we've watched from the free agent side of things as we near a free agency on October 9th and the goaltenders that are going to be up for grabs, Woody, uh, Anton Hudobin is the last free agent or soon-to-be free agent standing. What has this run done for the Russian netminder on the open market in two weeks' time? I, honestly, we're going to have to wait for two weeks' time to find out because it's just like it's nuts out there. There's so much speculation. I, I'm hearing a lot of we've said even before COVID, this was going to be a buyer's market for goaltenders. And what you hear from a lot of the agents is they think that this market's going to be really depressed for goaltending in particular. So after all these years of waiting to for the opportunity to show he can be a number one goaltender. He's entering the free agent market as the number one goaltender at maybe the wrong time. In terms of perception of Anton Hudobin, I mean, I, I think that he was already a lot of teams' perfect 1B. And I've said this, you know, I said this a couple of years ago when they signed him in Dallas. He was perfect for them because he's a guy who has learned how to give you good starts when he's playing once every two weeks. But he's also a guy that can give you great starts for two straight weeks and arguably gets better if you need him for two straight weeks or two straight months. And that was perfect for Dallas with Ben Bishop because as good as Bishop has been, injuries are a part of his track record in recent years. So still think he's a perfect fit there. I know his preference has always been to stay there, but you wonder, you know, they weren't able to get that deal done before the playoffs and you wonder what that might look like in terms of the price going up and more teams Maybe on the outside now looking at Anton Hudobin and saying, well, this guy isn't just a perfect 1B, but he might be a 1A. At the end of the day, we're into job shares no matter what. Everything you're seeing in the playoffs right now is going to be amplified next season. As much as we don't know what next season looks like, most people I talk to are certain it's going to be condensed, and that means you're going to need to. So whether he is still a 1B in some minds or he is the ultimate 1A, he's going to be a guy who will be in demand. And yet we don't know what that means because we don't know what the market like looks like. I think Jacob Markstrom sets the market. I think Jacob Markstrom is the prize on the market. And there are a lot of other agents, goalies, and GMs that will have to sort of quickly sort out the dominoes once his falls. When the next season starts, if Anton Hudobin remains with the Dallas Stars, Hutch, who should be the number one goaltender? And maybe it depends on how the next three or four games go as well, doesn't it, Darren? I think uh, I think you're going to see an equal split at the beginning if he remains with the team, and uh, and they'll probably let things go because, as Woody said, things are going to be compressed next year. No matter what, uh, the season will be starting late, and uh, although they talk about things being able to run fairly late into the summer next year, we've got the Olympics to contend with as well, potentially. So I think there's going to be a desire to get things done a little bit quicker, and there's a desire to get as many games in as possible. So compressed schedule, I think if they end up together, you'll probably see a split, and we'll see where things go from there. But 
I'm fascinated by this off season, guys. You know, normally we talk about that musical chairs time in in uh, free agency, and you can probably see a pecking order. I mean, I'm sure Woody's right that Jacob Markstrom's the first domino to fall, but I, I think we might have seen in the past that most teams would have had a very similar list in terms of which which order they want to go after guys. But now there's so many parameters involved that I think you're going to see. You know, every team's got a different list in terms of what they can. Uh, manage in terms of their cap, in terms of uh, what player they're able to they're they're targeting to to pair up in their sort of one A one B scenario. Um, unless you're one of those rare teams with a guy they're going to ride, and uh, and and so and then I think actually players' priorities might be changing this off season as well. And that's something I can't I can't uh, you know stop thinking about because. You know, Woody, you're 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 right. A guy like Doby probably wants to stay in Dallas, and he he understands that it's a scenario that's been really good for him. And in some years, you might be willing to fall back on that. But is this a year that's taught everybody that you have to make a little money while you can, because you never really know what next year brings? Um, not, the market's been depressed because of this, but don't forget, guys are going to lose a lot more to escrow next year as well. So it's it's sort of amplifying the depressed market. So I, I think different guys are going to have some some different ways of looking at things and it's going to be fascinating well one of those ways of looking at things is i think some of the things i've heard is that guys are gonna maybe want and i know there are teams that are sort of counting on this the devil you know um at a time when there is so much uncertainty in the world in terms of covid and seasons and what things look like in different countries and what borders I can cross and maybe even the potential for another bubble to start the season, which I don't think players want, obviously. Um, Do I really want to make a decision that also adds more uncertainty? Do I fit in the system? Will I get along with everybody in the room? Is this defense going to help me the same way my last defense helped me? Am I going to get along with this goalie coach or do I keep building with the guy I've known for the past couple of years? Um, with so much uncertainty, can I cross the border? Can I take my family to the city that I sign with as easily as where I am right now? With so much uncertainty Huge. all over the place in terms of COVID and what it does to next season, I think adding questions, guys are going to be hesitant to add even more questions to their lives by moving. And I think, like I said, I think there are a lot of teams that are right now playing chicken. They're not willing to go where maybe the agents think the market was before and they're saying, go see what's out there. Because they know the preference of the player is to stay where he is. And, and I think it's, it's a risky proposition. You know, here in Vancouver, it's a risky proposition because Jacob Markstrom's the best fit. But it's one that more teams seem willing to take. And part of that equation is thinking that guys might not want to move and add any more uncertainty. Although, interestingly enough, in Jacob Markstrom's case, like he doesn't have a family that he has to drag with him across the country or across a border or into a different you know, a different setup. But uh, I do think teams are counting on that a little bit. And we'll see. But I, I you know, like Yar Halak did in Boston, because he'd be on this list as one of the prime guys, especially in that 1B role, um, decided that staying pat even for just one extra year for three and a half million was just worth it compared to having to go through all the stuff we're talking about. Is Anton Hudobin the player that would be least affected uh, positively? by this incredible run because of his age, because of COVID, because of uh, uh, where we are in the game and the glut on the market? Like, how much more money 
would he be making because of taking over the number one job compared to what he was offered uh, previously or what they were initially negotiating? Well, see, Hudobin's already on like a, a, I believe a pretty, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a middling ticket. Like I, to me, Anton Hudobin, the market for him was set by Yaro Halak, right? Yaro settles for mm-hmm. one year at three and a half million. Anton's on a two-year deal worth five, so two and a half a year. So I think if you get him into the three and a half range, that's where I had him before. Does that's this probably the max that he was going to get? Yeah, that's kind of where I had yeah, that. That to me, that's where he was before. And if you're Dallas, you're looking at what you've got coming and how long do we want to commit to these two? Because are we putting a ceiling on somebody like a Jake Odinger? When do we think he might be ready? Um, so that's sort of my point. Was if uh, after a good regular season, he maybe he gets. Was was going to get three after a Stanley Cup run? Maybe he gets another five hundred thousand dollars because of the Stanley Cup. Like when when you look at it big picture, he's this this performance isn't going to translate into huge money for him. No, because we're hearing some of the top names are being offered five. So if five mm-hmm. sets the market, although there are you know again there are the agents would prefer that the top of the market is set around six in with term. But you're right. If Anton Hudobin was settled at I had three and a half million before, this run maybe moves him to a four million dollar goaltender. Is that worth it to uproot your life? And I guess there's other factors, right? Like term. Are you can you get three years somewhere versus two from Dallas? Is Dallas even willing right. to do two? Um, what does the tax situation look like where you're being offered it compared to Dallas? Like there's so much that goes into this. How settled are you in Dallas? Do you have a mortgage? Do you own your home? Do you like these things all matter? But at the end of the day, I think the border, what you mentioned about the border might be the most influential on on a short term. Absolutely. And the other thing, though, is like you said, I think you're absolutely right, Darren. Like the difference isn't as big as it used to be. Like Anton Hudobin is not getting a five million dollar a year multi-year contract based on this run. Like it's going to, like I said, if it changes him from the best one B option to maybe a one A option, that's not a big difference in a depressed market. And that's why. You know, I think we all know that Laner um, seems to crave security based on the things he's said. And, you know, so that would be what? That would be, you know, if, if that's a five-year deal for Robin and he's willing to accept five, I think that sets the market because he's a top, top guy. There aren't very many teams looking for a number one goalie for the next five years that are going to pay like $6 million a year. It's a pretty short list. Um, and to have a team sort of, if they, if they do decide to go that route, usually it's on teams that are sort of rebuilding in, in a tougher stage. And if you're Jacob Marksham, for example, is that where you want to go? So there's a lot of different variables and a lot of teams that are sort of playing that game of chicken right now, and we'll see where it goes. Um, but I think their willingness to play that game of chicken is based on two things. One, they just don't have the cap space to just say, Hey, we want you, we need you stay here. And two, it's just a buyer's market, and all these factors make it even more so. What about uh, Woody? What do you think about Craig Anderson talking about it being a buyer's market? See, uh, has he got another stop? Well, I mean, Ottawa said today they weren't yeah. going to offer him a contract, and they've made him aware of that. And I think that that's not a surprise to anyone. Um, I think you got to go with what Craig told. So I can't remember what report it was. I, I apologize because I like to cite the sources, but it was a couple of months ago during the pause that he felt he had another year in him and that he wanted to keep playing. And so I think he would have made that statement knowing it was probably somewhere else. But, you know, I had lunch with Craig when I was in Florida for that week I spent there with with the Panthers and Robbie Tallis on the ice. And, and Craig was one of the guys that came to their sort of their their shinny skate every day after the the morning session. And you know, at the time, he felt like this that contract might be his last contract, the one in Ottawa that's expired. 
um, just because the family lives in Florida. Like his keys away from his kids during the year. They stayed in Florida while he was in Ottawa. So I think as much as he wants to play, you add a pandemic to that situation. Uh, outside of there being an opportunity in Florida, which I don't really see with how well Chris Dreger played and obviously the contract that Bob's under, or Tampa Bay, and I'm pretty sure McElhenney signed a two-year deal uh, to be to play with Vasilevsky, so he's got another year left on that. Like, I could be wrong, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, because like I said, he was on record this summer saying he still wanted to play. But I think for some of those guys, the situation isn't going to be one that you know, makes sense now from a family perspective. Like it already would have taken, I think a pretty good situation for him to continue playing anyways. uh, Moving isn't an option playing away. Like it's just, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Like if he wants to play, I still think he can play. We've had it at Ingle. Like his reads are exceptional. Jimmy Howard's in the same boat too, right? He said that he's, he said that he still wants to play though. Yeah, and and you know, and and Jimmy's coming off a, a a down year. I still think there's something there too. I guess at the end of the day, and there are other guys that could be in this equation as well. Devin Dubnik is being, you know, mentioned as a buyout candidate of Minnesota, so he could all of a sudden, if they do buy him out, and that window opens this Friday, two week window between now and unrestricted free agency for buyouts, and Lundqvist and Dubnik are on that list. If he does get bought out. Does he want to keep playing? Of course he does. I think I believe when Craig Anderson says he wants to keep playing and Jimmy Howard wants to keep playing. But in a buyer's market where quickly we see some of the seats that have been vacated are already being filled by younger goaltenders. St. Louis moves Jake Allen, but they just slide in Ville Husso. Like, are you, one thing to say you want to play, but are you willing to take a deal that isn't near what you're used to? Or is a situation with uncertainty possibly the uncertainty of maybe having to clear waivers or be a number three guy or take a lower salary to stay in the NHL. That's a different question than I want to play. It's a, it's a, it's a bit different between do I want to play and do I have the hunger to play through a less than ideal circumstance? Those are two different things for guys who have been around a long time. And I don't want to say they've gotten comfortable, but they're just used to a certain status in the league that they might not be afforded by this unrestricted free agent market anymore. No question about the number one seat in Winnipeg. And how about that contract that was signed a couple of years ago? A six-year deal for Connor Hellebuck with the Winnipeg Jets at a AAV of just over $6 million. And now you're paying a two-time Vesna finalist and a Vesna Trophy winner. And we have a conversation with Connor Hellebuck uh, talking about his Vesna Trophy uh, announcement and his conversation with uh, Grant Fear. In just a couple of minutes, as Kevin Woodley uh, catches up with the Winnipeg Jet netminder. Well, and one of the answers to that question about that contract, Aaron, you said just over six, and of course, the reason it's just over six because he signed a contract for thirty-seven million instead of thirty-six million. And why thirty-seven million? Why the number thirty-seven? That gets answered in our interview with Connor Hellebuck. So I think that's what you guys on the in the industry that actually know what you're doing call a tease. Uh, just a little bit of a carrot out in front of your nose. So why did he sign a deal for $37 million? It might have something to do with the number on his back, but uh, where does that relate to? And uh, how far back does that go? Well, we'll tell you all about that. And then there's a connection of, of wearing number 37 because he had to get permission uh, from the Winnipeg Jets franchise and uh, and outside of the organization to wear that number. Uh, so uh, yeah, a double tease, if you will regarding Connor Hellebuck. But uh, our Source for Sports, uh, the hockey shop, uh, Source for Sports Surrey, gear segment uh, deals with the Bauer ultrasonic line and uh, don't want to waste 
and uh, get too far off path because uh, Cam is standing by. Uh, you guys are going to deal with with the pad and looking forward to this conversation between Woody and Cam in our In Goal Radio, the podcast gear segment brought to you by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey. Welcome back to The Hockey Shop, source for sports here in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia, the outskirts of Vancouver, my local store. Our second week back here in goalie heaven, as I call it, it's the basement, an entire floor dedicated to goaltending with Cam Matwiv. Cam, second week back. We've had you back on the podcast. Title sponsor, gear segment is back, and I'm still jacked. And I think that you're going to be just as jacked after two weeks because this week we're going to talk about the Bauer Ultrasonic Pad. And it sounds like this has been an absolute home run for you at retail so far yeah it's been fantastic you can say it's ultra good oh man Anyone? really no really like you just brought my buzz down with that bad d- did you out of curiosity did you have a kid while we were away during the pandemic because that is that was like a the dad joke of all dad jokes my my kids are cringing <laughs> and they're like 40 kilometers away right now that's uh. Wow, I'm tempted to restart this, but let's just pretend you never made that joke and let's move forward. What is it? And we've obviously had it at ingolmag.com. We've had it for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, one of your employees who is playing Junior B had our test set out for a while and ordered a set of his own. I think several of your staff members have ordered sets of their own. What is it that's setting the ultrasonic apart? Is it just the Stabila slide knee or is that the starting point and there's a whole bunch more? Yeah, that's like the icing on the cake to, to what has become, uh, you know, a, a very very strong and highly recommended option um especially through our guys um, not only you know custom ordering it for themselves but uh just from experience we've been getting feedback from from our customers in particular um the amount of custom orders we've done so far it, you know it, there's a lot of positives here and they definitely definitely need to be have their shout out for sure okay so let's start with the stabila slide knee because that's where we started our review because it's you know as we said i think you know we're 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 big on we're big on product innovation, development, technology changes. And this was a big one from the get-go. The concept that that knee stack is going to be fixed to the face of the pad. And no, for all the people on Instagram that told us all knee stacks are fixed to the face of the pad. No, I mean like fixed at 90 degrees, doesn't budge, won't move, not gonna, not gonna flop around on you over time. Fixed, fixed, part of the face of the pad. Um, what is it about that that... that that you that you get such positive feedback on, so it's it's all to do with that that down butterfly position, um, and and actually that drive down too, for it and you know with an unfixed knee cradle, um, and by all means this isn't a knock to any other company, um, for those that are listening, but when you have something that's solid, you're creating a much more stable um, platform to drive down to the ice, and then once it hits. You're sitting a lot taller and, and uh, without that slip back that you see. Um, or when you don't have that there, sometimes that knee pad or, or knee cradle will buckle a little bit and actually start to become parallel with the pad, especially with the force that's being driven. Or when you're doing a quick overdrive slide, you know, power push for or for lack of a better term, it, you know, you'll see that buckle happen. Here, that doesn't happen. That pad stays secure and like solid right at that knee area. You're increasing your height of your butterfly. You're you're more stable. You can be more reactive. You're not worried about the pad, you know, doing over rotating or doing something it shouldn't, for example. So and it seals like a hot damn. 
we didn't even get that far yet, but yes, and exactly. Okay, so there are other elements to that. So Stabilis Slide Knee, I feel like we've d- talked a lot about it a lot. Um, you kind of just went over the, the key points there. Uh, I don't know that we need to dwell on it because I think everybody's already excited about it. But I think a lot of the times people miss the other elements in the leg channel that allow that connection uh, and that seal and that performance to continue down um, to on the ice and getting to the ice. And that's, to me, the removable calf pillow is another one. If you feel like you need a little more stability and you leave it in and it's there. Um, also, the sort of the way they've wedged that 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 calf wedge and the angle they've created there so that sort of where your leg is it what is what touches the ice but but by angling it up there's a gap there so in other words it's not all flush on the ice which makes it slide better that's correct i mean the pad itself will be flush but where the actual calf plate's hitting the ice there's a little bit of a raise there so less surface area contacting the ice easier slide less friction well and of course this is a pad that has already the reputation as being I think it's fair to say that with the hard surface and and the Cortex skin, the best pad, sliding pad on the market. A benchmark, if you will. And that continues. Even exactly. And that's, the, that's always been the, the give and take. When you improve seal, you usually have more of the pad contacting the ice more firmly, and that's going to negatively affect sliding. I think everyone we've had test the pad, and the fact that some of them bought it quickly right away, uh, has said... Sliding isn't negatively affected by the improved seal. That's a pretty good best of both worlds. Exactly. And and even rewinding back to what you're calling about, about some of those leg changes and things. Like what really excites me here is that um, it shows a lot of Bauer's willingness to to listen and improve upon their designs and whatnot. And what we're seeing and what's evolved into what is the ultrasonic backing um, more in line with the vapor, but also more in line with what they were getting in terms of pro requests requests coming at retail as well um and just general feedback over the pad um not that there's anything wrong with supreme strapping it's on the wall uh we have some for sale and whatnot but for some guys it could be quite confusing we've now seen that vapor strapping which is quite a bit easier you basically just got your one calf the closure calf and then your knee strap um simplified it's just it's a better version of something that already was very good and they've just, they brought it, they've listened, they put it onto their Supreme Pack. And we, we liked about that, and we've talked about this, right, you know, back to the 2X line, is that there's an adjustability and customizability to fit and feel that comes with that strapping, depending on where you attach that Velcro tab and, and how you lengthen top or bottom of it, uh, how tight you pull it. You can, you can totally change the way this pad feels and performs and moves with or around your leg, and... Again, that's that's kind of a nice ability to have with just one single strap or that's, simple strap. Exactly, and, and you know, one hundred percent correct there. So, uh, one other feature um, that some of the guys have been quite excited about that we've seen been brought over to this pad has now been their control strap that they've added. Um, we're basically we're talking about that professor strap, for lack of a better term. Um, I feel like we should call Ben Scribbins and see if he like like needs royalties on that every time we say it. The professor. The professor strap, I love it. Uh, yeah, and on that, and and uh, I almost forgot about it. To be honest with you, I, that's a that's a nice addition on this pad. What I think makes it a nice addition is is you can take it on and off real easy. You're not you don't have to commit to it full time. Try it. It's the perfect pad to try it on. If you don't like it, just take it off. Some guys are I've seen some guys where they they like the connection at the top of the calf from that professor strap, um, and they take their knee. They don't feel like they need to strap off the knee cradle. Mm-hmm. Other guys feel like the knee cradle is enough and they don't want the professor strap. Again, 
options and real simple to, to go back and forth from one to the other. You don't have to commit when you purchase it and be stuck with it forever. And that's the thing, like, like stock off the wall. These are fantastic if it fits your bread and butter there. Um, uh, but that said, if you have the ability to order custom and, you know, that is an option to you, you really have a chance to make this pad true to your own for sure. There's a lot of different features and things like that, which I'd be happy to walk you through at any time. Um, but there's just too many to list right now. Um, that can make this pad, you know, we can make it a little bit softer um, in terms of having a little bit more flex. Um, we can add some straps on if we need to. If you're still looking for that more connected feel, we can change the boot around to really give you that Ford flex that you need or something a little bit stiffer, depending on your desired play style. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, well, what, why don't we talk a little bit about that? I mean, you talked, we've talked about the control strap. We've talked about the Stabila slide. We know this thing or slides like a hot damn, like all Bauer pads do now. Rebounds come off super hot. Guys love that. Uh, again, I would say uh, industry standard. Um, they set a new standard in terms of just how active those rebounds come off and they've maintained that. Um, fit, flex, profile, who it's for, how it's going to fit on your leg. As you said, you can order this. There's some custom options you can do to soften it up to an extent. Um, change the boot so it's a little flatter, more like the like the Vapor 2X boot as opposed to steeper on the ultrasonic boot. But stock, this is a steeper boot. This is a stiffer pad for the most part. And has that affected? Have you, are you seeing guys? Like we felt like for some, you know, personally, I was in a 2S Pro large, no problem. A little bit on the big side, but no problem. This in large was too big for me. I would definitely go to a medium. Are you seeing, is that a conversation you're having with goalies? as they're trying to make sure they pick the right size pad for them. This is, like I said, a stiffer, more upright pad. Do you need to consider maybe backing down on the size, especially if you were already feeling like what you had was a little big to start with? Yeah, and, and you know there are definitely a lot of different factors that come into play, but especially, say, for example, um, uh, one of our guys, he came from a 2X pad and now moved into um, the ultrasonic pad. We did find that um, he had to size himself down one, um, to be able to get uh, the fit he was looking for. I think he went from like an XL Vapor into a uh, large um, ultrasonic in particular. Clearly you only hire tall people here. <laughs> uh, one of which is tall. The rest of us are about that average six foot height. Okay, so um, we've gone over the flex. We've gone over the fit. We've gone over any other features on this pad that we need to call out in terms of options. Um, obviously, if people want to get into custom options, think about ordering it with that 2X boot. Um, as we had it on the website, there are just so many different options. We had it at ingolmag.com in our review, all the different things you could do in terms of the profile and flex custom on this boot. Um, they want to talk to you about those options and how they'll affect the fit and how it plays. Where can they get a hold of you at? So even before I do that, one plug, one quick note, and let's not forget about because it's quite important for custom, Digiprint. Especially when we get into the term custom, especially when it comes to Bauer, that ability to come up with your own custom graphic, this is huge, but, but you know what? The best time to talk about that with me is would be over the phone, and you can reach me at 604-589-8299. At this point, I hate to say it, I almost assume like that, I, and it's probably bad on my part, I, should, I didn't even talk about DigiPrint because it's just like that's a part of the staple of, of what you come to expect. If you're going custom, you have the ability, as one of your staff members did, and we'll show that off on Instagram soon enough for his uh, sweet white rock whalers junior b color setup um yeah you can pretty much do anything you want on these things can't you 
You can, and I'm going to stop now, myself. Now, hold on. Do you though. design that? Because you offered to help design, you know, a set of CCM access pads for people, but you kind of strike me as like a paint by numbers crayon type. Like, are you, I'm not picturing you on the graphic design side of custom graphics. There is a, not a magic paintbrush in this world that could get me to do some of the coolest things that I've seen from other people have come up with. So I'll help you facilitate your design, but I ain't drawing it for you. Okay, that's probably a good thing. And the thing is, Bauer has people that do that as well. That's correct. In terms of they have a whole team for that. So, um, yeah, I can't believe I forgot Digiprint. Digiprint, uh, sliding, Stabila Slide Knee. Like, there's just so much about this pad. I, I kind of understand as we go over the highlights why it's been such a good seller for you. Um, two things to go over before we go. One, this means that 2S Pro is on sale. I don't know you have that much left, but there are sale prices there. How much of a discount are we looking at for what you've got left in stock? Uh, you're going to ask me the exact number off the top of my head and you got me, but I think we're close to 20% off, even a little bit more than that. Uh, I know we've got a couple pairs left. I literally think they're down to my last two, um, but yes, that's a potential option right there. Um, did you guys sell that Canuck set? Oh, we sure did. We did. We sure did. We had a fan, uh, I think they were out uh, in uh, back out east somewhere um, that ended up picking it up, actually. That was sweet. That was like old vintage Canucks, like the spaghetti downhill skate. Those were those were gorgeous. We'll have to find that on our Instagram and go from there. The other one is gloves. We didn't talk about it. We're going to break up our segments because you and I talked too long already. But we're going to start talking about, uh, we'll go back to the axis. We'll talk about the gloves and the blocker. Blocker and gloves for the ultrasonic. We'll get into those in depth in a future episode. But suffice it to say, the way the pucks come off that blocker is just like the pads, super hot and goalies love it. And that glove, the closure on it, um, easily the best we've had from Bauer. They just keep getting better and no wonder it's such a hot seller for you. Cam, uh, Hockey Shop, Source of Sports in Surrey, HockeyShop.com. Make sure you check them out. Reach out to Cam if you got any questions. Thanks again. Good to have you back on the Ingold Radio Podcast. Looking forward to a lot more of these in the future. Thanks, Kevin. It's good to be here. It's nice. Said it last week. It's nice to have you guys back together. Uh, just a little footnote, uh, just to jump off of the Bauer ultrasonic pad and just final thoughts there, Woody. It's, um, it's been one of the more pop- popular, 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 it's been one of the more popular pads at retail. Um, what I love about what Bauer has done since introducing the original sort of uh, Odin and the, and the concept of the Cortex skin and basically changing how for them pads were built is they haven't rested on their laurels with each generation. They've added something new and not just little tweaks like that. That Stabila slide knee is a major change and it's one that a lot of goalies uh, are embracing and we're seeing not everybody at the NHL level that tried it, adopted it right away. Ben Bishop talked about, uh, actually, I asked him the question heading into this return to play about, you know, um, seeing him in it uh, in the training camp with the Dallas Stars. And he said he had one set of each and he was trying it. But a lot of guys have switched right over. Henrik Lundqvist switches right over to the Stabila slide knee. Um, Andre Vasilevsky's in the Stanley Cup final, switched right over to the Stabila slide knee. And when you watch him moving around on your on his knees and sliding back and forth and making little pushes and adjustments, man, that seal and the power combined with that seal and the ability to move is, is fun to watch. Uh, the top goalie, the first goalie that's going to be off the board in the NHL draft a week from now, Yaroslav Askarov has switched over to it. And 
Like it, it's almost unfair to me. Like, oh my God, the kid moves so incredibly. And now he's got this this pad that slides so well. So um the stability slide knee has been a big What's the thing. biggest change that yeah. that that somebody will notice going to the stabilized knee? This uh just to, there's no give to it, right? So like just as soon as that pad hits the ice, it's flat and it's flush and it's sealed. Um, the other difference to me though on this pad, and Cam talked about it a little bit, is it is it is a fairly stiff, straight pad. Like it's got some pre-curve into it, but you're not gonna put a lot more in yourself. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what the next generation is for them. Like if Stabila Slide makes its way onto the next version, it won't be called 3x they had 1x 2x i believe there's going to be a new name on the next one um and if you can combine it with a more flexible pad because one of the things we did talk about we found it fit a little taller so i think goalies need to be cognizant of that with the ultrasonic pad as it does because of the shape and the firmness of it even though you can dial in and cam on custom orders has been recommending some of those features that you can make quote unquote softer to go that way um, you know, it, it is a pad that fits in our eyes a little bit higher and to the point where you might need to go a size down from an extra large to a large, maybe a large to a medium, um, for some goalies. And, and we've gotten that feedback, but, uh, to me, this, you know, there's a lot of great features already on the pad, the Stabila slide knee, the way they incorporated, um, it with the new sort of calf wrap and angled and creating that gap between the face and, and, and where the calf wrap seals to, to help make sure there was not too much added friction there. Like, cause obviously Stabila slide, as soon as you, as soon as you improve seal, you put more of the pad on the ice, better contact with the ice. You would think that negatively affects sliding, but the way they went, they sort of angled that calf to take part of the calf wrap off the ice to counter that was just, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world looking at it now, but it was really well thought out and well executed. And like I said, there's a reason it's a really popular pad at retail right now is because they've done a really nice job with it. And we didn't even get into the gloves. We'll save that for another segment, but they've made improvements there as well, especially especially on the catching glove. Guys, there's, there's so much to try and describe there about the technology that's gone into these. And Woody put together a, an incredible review, uh, which is available over at ingoldmag.com. Just a reminder to everybody, InGoal is uh, a subscription site, but all the gear reviews are open for everybody to uh, to see. So you can head to the homepage. One of the menu items uh, is equipment reviews, and you can find uh, Woody's review, tons of pictures uh, up there, so you can get a real feel for it. And and if you are one of our members, uh, we also had um, a webinar where Woody sat down with the ultrasonic and and invited folks in to come and have a look and and ask all the questions they want. And that's posted still for members. So. Lots of opportunities to follow up over at Ingle with more on the ultrasonic pad. Do uh, do you guys teach us how to say stability slide? Five times fast. I, I mean that one. That's a tough one to spit out at 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 times, but it's it's really solid and it's a it's it's a unique tweak on on this this pad and the way that it's made up. And I wasn't. Uh, I was really curious to see how it was going to be embraced. And under Vasilevsky is a great advertisement in the Stanley Cup final. No, I was going to say, my, my understanding is they actually just brought him one to see, like, check it out, no pressure to wear, what do you think? And he's like, I'm in, like, next day kind of thing. I love it. I'm in. This is what I want. So Andre Vasilevsky is a uh, top contender every year for the Vesna Trophy, but uh, the 2019-2020 recipient is a player that was a nominee two years ago and uh, rediscovered his game this year and was the Winnipeg Jets' best player and Connor Hellebuck. And 
He was presented with the award at the uh, virtual NHL awards ceremony, and what a moment that was. Uh, Great job by the NHL to get the Oilers alumni, because of the bubble being held in Edmonton, uh, to present all of these awards. And you have a Hockey Hall of Famer in Grant Fuhr uh, making the announcement and then interviewing Connor Hellebuck. And after that conversation took place, our own Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine had an opportunity to uh, catch up with Connor Hellebuck about his Vesna Trophy win and his journey in the life of goaltending. Here is the feature interview presented by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, on In Goal Radio, the podcast. I guess the most important thing is congratulations. Uh, what's that? What's that moment like when you get that phone call? Um, I guess from Grant Fear of all people, and find out that you've won the order. Do you have a heads up going into it? Thank you. No, it was just a phenomenal feeling and a great experience and how they did it. Uh, it was awesome talking with Grant, and you know it's one of those moments that it's just going to add another uh, another milestone, and uh, I'm going to cherish the memory. Now, do you, were you a Grant Fear? Fear. Who was your guy growing up? I'm guessing it wasn't Grant, being from Michigan, and I think you you we used to go to Red Wings games. No. Yeah, I was definitely a Red Wings fan, but for some reason, my uh, my guy was Olaf Kolzik. Loved watching him. Thought he was amazing in the playoffs when they played the Wings, and um, I had that the Wings championship run on a tape, and and I loved how they broke his game down. And growing up watching that all the time, it, it just made me really like him. So was that like, so walk me through and, and, and the audience is pure goaltenders here. So young Connor Hellebuck watching Olaf Kolzig and, and, and admiring the style, like at what, is that the guy you're, you're out, whether it's on the ice or, you know, playing road hockey, like, is that the guy you're trying to be at? What point does it go from just something you loved to, you know, maybe trying to imitate a guy or try and look for things in certain guys style and put them in your game? What, where, when did that transition occur for you? Oh, that was late. I was never, I never tried to play like them. I just went out and played and had a blast doing it. Um, it wasn't until I was late in high school is when I got a pair of Reebok pads and it kind of formed my style. And um, I put a lot of work in that summer between my junior and senior year to get better because I realized I needed the path and I needed to be better for that path. And, um, that's when I really started to get technical with my game. But all up until that, I was just focusing on making saves. Did you play other positions? Like when did you start playing goal, um, you know, as a youngster? And what drew you to it? I started playing when I was about five, and um, I was playing roller hockey, and that's what drew me to it. We'd skate out, but I had this knack of making saves, and it was really fun, um, and I enjoyed jumping around in the crease. So, I, I never really stopped playing forward until I was about 13 or 14. Um, and every every spring season, I would skate out and have fun. And then I started to realize that I couldn't do both. Um, and that's when I became just a, a strict goalie. And I just, I had so much fun doing both. But goalie was definitely what I had a knack for. That's funny because I wasn't I wasn't intending on going down this path, Connor. But like you're you're definitely not the first guy that we've talked to, you know, in an era where a lot of young goalies are are being, you know, to be honest, at times forced to choose the position or choose their position as young as eight years old. Um, you know, we talk to guys like yourself. Brayden Holtby tells the same story of 
how being a forward later and continuing to play all positions helped them learn to read the game. Do you, do you see anything looking back all these years later that there was a benefit to not being just a goalie at that age? Oh, absolutely. Learning both sides of it is very important. Um, you could break down goaltending as much as you want, but until you realize what the forward is going to do, um, it doesn't really matter because it's all about kind of predicting what they're going to do and um, being one step ahead of them. Now you talked about uh, high school and, and sort of coming to the position or at least coming to that level of concentration late. Um, I loved uh, last night when you were watching you accept the awards on, on, on TV, watching, watching hockey night here, um, the list of people that you thanked. And obviously they're people that we've had the pleasure at Ingle to, to be on the ice with, with you up in Kelowna, people like uh, Wade Flaherty and Adam Francilia and Ray Petkow and, and, and Joe Clark in particular. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about all of them, but I wanted to start with Joe and I wanted to start with that journey because you go from getting into the position late in terms of really focusing on it to Odessa. Can you walk me through, or I've heard this story before, so walk our listeners through that path and how, how you end up in Odessa at this tryout and then from there meeting Joe and, and you know, I, I guess the rest is history. Yeah, so after high school, uh, or actually in between high school, there was a, a league called MDHL, which is essentially all the high school kids that want to continue playing in the summer get together and make a, like an all-star little league. So I played that, had some fun doing that, got picked to go some AAA showcases, and um, thought I was going to get drafted somewhere. Didn't end up getting drafted anywhere, which was a sad day, but a motivating day. And shortly after the NHL draft, um, the, G, or, uh, the owner called me, Rick, and um, he was telling me, yeah, come to main camp, uh, we like you, come to main camp. So I've really turned my focus on and I'm going to make this work. So I ended up making it work. Uh, and that's where I met Joe. And Joe in o- Odessa was just huge for my development, my, my mind game, my mental game. And um, he really taught me how to, how to not only – because at that point, I was just trying to be the best, and I wanted to be perfect every single day. But he taught me that you, there is two sides of it, where, yes, strive to be perfect, but also be realistic with yourself. And I'm still learning this to this day, and I'm still giving Joe calls all the time because he helps me level out my game. But that is where I think my mental game was developed. When you first, when you made that decision, when you got that invite, what did you do that summer? Like, did you change anything in terms of your approach before you met Joe? Did you, was it just sort of a determination thing, Connor, where like, I'm just going to do this? Or did you have, was there a plan that you sort of set in motion to make that adjustment? And what, what kind of, like, what kind of work are we talking here? And, and, and did you actually drive to Odessa from Michigan for that trial? Uh, the tryout was in Minnesota, and yes, I did that drive. That was about 12 hours. But uh, after that decision, or after that draft, uh, I made a decision on myself that I'm going to make this work no matter what. So what I did is I went to Sticks and Pucks and got a buddy or two of mine to come with me um, every other day. And we'd go and we hit the ice, and I would just work on technical stuff. And um, this is where being a student of the game for all those years really helped because I was able to go into uh, these sticks and pucks was there's no coaches or anything and i was able to just do my own drills and figure out what i want to be good at and we just did that over and over again for the month and then when i got to the camp that's when things really got going for me and i was able to just play 
what what does that look like? I mean, stick and puck. There, are, I mean, in an era, Connor, where like there's you know these kids have goalie coaches and they're on the ice for hours a week. Your path started with stick and puck and a buddy. What are you doing? Your own drills out there? Are you? Did you ever have any problems in terms of being allowed to be out there in gear? What was that whole process like? You no, know, sticks and pucks was uh, it was with gear. It's just a, essentially an open sheet for anyone to come out and play hockey. So right after school, I would go, or in the summer when there was no school, I would go every other day, and I'd drag my buddy out with me, and um, I would just steal one end of the ice. And I know they probably hated it, but I'd go out there for an hour and just work. And the days that I couldn't get a net or I couldn't steal one or I got yelled at, I would just go to the middle and work on, or when I couldn't get my buddy to come out with me and I would just work on movement drills and, and kind of simulate the drills and what I wanted to do in the middle for I don't know, 45 minutes or until I was tired. And I was just making sure I was on the ice and I was getting better at something. What a great philosophy. It's funny because, uh, you know, we tend to, we see all the drills and, you know, even at Ingle, we, we tend to publish drills that are, you know, we, we fall in love with the drills that are more complex, but it really is all about movement, isn't it? At, at its, at its base foundation, the position. Yeah. You know, I think, um, that helps you get ahead of the game. Uh, and you, you could break that down so far, but at the end of the day, um, if your mind's ahead of the game and your feet can do what they need to do, you will get in the right position. It's it, it, in some ways it's, it's kind of simple, eh? Um, so what was the conversation like with Joe yesterday? Did you have a chance to catch up with him after it was announced? What, what, how emotional is that to have a guy who's your support through all of this, a guy you've talked to and leaned on over the years and, and, and you get a moment like that. What did it mean to you to be able to share it with him? No, I haven't had that phone call just yet. Cause my phone's been blowing up the last couple of days, but I'm <laughs> we sure ap- we apologize for being a part of that too. Sorry. <laughs> yeah there's no worries there um you know we will have that phone call soon and uh i, I have gotten messages from him and i'm sure he's just as pumped as i am okay so from there you go to university what what how did that you know that next step of development two years in the ncaa you, your second year you're a mike richter award winner we, we've gone from stick and puck and driving to minnesota on a tryout to the best goalie in the NCAA in just a few years. What were what what in your mind looking back was the biggest steps you took uh on the ice or as you said between the years mentally and that allowed you to to sort of ride up a pretty progressive path. Yeah, well I had a really good goalie coach at UMass Lowell and Cam Ellsworth and um we butted heads a lot, which is good. We're both stubborn and we both are making each other better. And I also didn't play my whole first month. I got one game that I got pulled in my first month of college. And um, when I was in that game, I remember talking to Joe and I said, it's not as hard as I just made that. Like, this is, I'm going to be good. And well, it took me a whole month to get another start. And I had to scratch and claw in practice. And but the same effort I did in the summers previous to, uh, and some to really kind of get noticed again and make them realize that, you can't write me off and that I'm here to stay and I'm going to push for playing time. And, um, I just had a, a huge drive there to be better every single day. And kind of the same philosophy. I wasn't going to let myself fail. What kind of things when you talk about butting heads and, but I, I'm curious because your path in terms of your development, your game has evolved over the years. You know, 
it's hard for young goaltenders sometimes, Connor. They go to a new place, they go with a new coach, especially guys that bounce around a lot. You can get a lot of different voices. And it can be hard sometimes when you, you're trying to make that goalie coach happy, but you have some certain beliefs. How did you find that balance between, hey, this is being willing to try new things, but at the same time, having to stand up for what you thought was your foundation? Because I think that's something that a lot, of, a lot of young goalies probably that are going through similar situations in junior and even in, in minor hockey as they get older probably have that question themselves. What would your advice be? Oh, it's tough to put advice there, you know. Um, <laughs> I I would always test it out and just try it, and if it was comfortable, uh, it would stay. But there's a lot of times where I just I, I I wouldn't believe it until, and then I would I would give it a courtesy try, and if I didn't like it, I didn't bring it into my game. Um, I guess it was just being stubborn, and there's a lot of good things that did get brought into my game, but. There was there were certain things that I just was was set in stone on and didn't let anyone talk me out of. Do you, so you, you second year Mike Richter award winner as I said top goalie in the NCAA and then another decision just like the decision to go to college to pick a school, the decision to turn pro. We've talked a little bit about Joe and and the role he's played. Um, was he a voice that you leaned on through all those decisions at each level? A guy that you could count on for. You know, making sure you had the right advice as you made decisions like that, because that—that's a big one. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I almost did stay for a third year at school. Like I was almost set on staying, but then I got to thinking about it, and I had a couple good conversations with guys like Joe and everyone around me, and and I could just feel like it was in my gut that I need to go, and it was time for me to move on and get better at a new level and and start the the pro career and. Um, I'm very glad that I did. Things turned out really well, but there was a time there where I thought I might stay. I think I think everybody. I think the Jets are happy you did. Um, what uh, now? You're with a new team again. Another new voice. A couple new voices. Wade Flaherty, who I wanted to talk about, a guy who um, you know just an exceptional goalie coach, and and there would have been changes with him. Uh, you would have had Dusty Emu when you first got there in terms of uh, in the American Hockey League when you first started as a pro. Again, another step. Did you approach it like you had to do more as you took each step up the levels or was more about just sticking with your foundation? Uh, no, there was definitely, there was definitely uh, adjustments at every level. Um, What's the hardest one? The hardest one is going to the NHL. There's okay. a lot demanded on your hands, and you almost you almost lose a little bit of form in the NHL. I mean, it's always there, and you always have it, but you always need to forget about it a little bit and just go back to making saves because uh, these players are so good, and they test your hands, and they test everything about your game, So, and they can do everything. So there's no there's no set-in-stone drill that you can do that replicates the NHL. It's, it's a read-and-react type of right. play every single night and every single shot. And yeah, I would I would say that that was definitely the hardest jump and along the way. And Dusty Emu was in the AHL program and he helped me out a lot with my post play. And so every step of the way, I got a little better at something else. You talked about, you mentioned the hands was hand position. Cause I remember, I mean, it's, we've seen it change and evolve with you over the years. Was that something where when you first started, I remember it. Am I right in saying it was a little lower back then? And it's, has it come up over the years? Is that a process you went through with weight as well? Yeah. Well, it actually started up in juniors. And I got to college and crept its way down. And then over the HL, crept its way even more down. And I wasn't even realizing it. Um, 
and I could get away with it. That's where I had the problem. I could do, I could make a lot of golf saves being down and not realizing how much I needed to be up. And uh, when I got to the NHL, I was getting tested so much on my hands. I, I realized that I need to go back to my foundation, which was pretty much from juniors. Yeah, it's funny. They they don't they don't they don't take long to pick up on things like a low hand position in the National League, do they? No, no, they don't. And <laughs> um, over the years of not really being strict on that, because I was working on other things, it kind of just crept lower and lower and lower until it was in a bad spot. I remember too. I remember watching, and uh, you know, when you were with Winnipeg, it looked like you were you know learning for you know another post play. You talked about post play reverse VH, um, and and adding that to your game with Wade. And I, I remember thinking, geez, this must be really hard to me to add something like that as much as it's become a staple for a lot of guys in the years since, but to add something like that, to make a change like that while playing in the National Hockey League. Do people underestimate how tough it is to make changes in a season to your game, so especially something as significant of that as that? Yeah, it definitely is tough, but it all comes down to repetition over and over and over again. And then you get the a good part of playing games and um, testing it out and um, hopefully figure it out quick. And I think that's the most important <laughs> part of being an NHL goalie and elite is figuring things out quickly. The um, from there, after a couple of years, then we get we get into and I wanted to before we let you go, just touch base on the switch. You made it made, made a change to Ray. Um, you come to Kelowna for the first time and meet Adam Francilia. We've we've written about it. We've talked to you about it in the past in little little chunks here and there. Obviously, you had the pleasure uh, at Ingle of being up there. But how big an adjustment was that for you that first summer? And how important a step was that for you to take? Because it just seems like every step along the way, you're always putting the work in. Um, and that, that was a ton of work for you. How important was that looking back? You know, I mean, every everything that you add to your game is important. Um not only that, sometimes you test things that don't work out. So that's important too, so you don't fall into that trap. Um, it's it's really just developing what what you want to do and how you want to do it and what's going to give you the most success. And there's a lot of guys that will overdo a lot of stuff. And that is what they need to learn too because um, overdoing something could work poorly as well. Is it is it something like it's funny because I know you're a golfer and a really good golfer too, but can it be like, like, Sometimes you you find something that you think works, and then you, like you said, tend to maybe just look at it and do it more and more, and to to the point where it can you can end up at an extreme. Yeah, and just like post play, a lot of guys will overuse the post play and stay in it all the time, and uh, hinders your your movement and able to get out on on shots. And and yeah, everyone says, well, yeah, I, I have a good push off that, but it's way more efficient staying on your feet. And I think patience and staying on your feet is almost getting overlooked these days would you say that's a staple i guess it's funny because i do hear that a lot connor from a lot of guys and it seems to be coming back uh hey we see it with hudobin in the play in the playoffs right now like he's you know even on post play he's not down early he holds edges is that where the game has come in terms of being just being able to stay patient and i guess the question then becomes how do you build that patience there's probably a lot of young goalers goalies out there that hear you talk about patience and staying patient how do you reinforce it? You practice over and over again. And <laughs> yeah, it's, that's one of those repetition things. And, and once you, once you get comfortable with it and you sometimes are going to get beat and it's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to, not going to be happy about it, but 
it helps you read the game differently. What's uh, what's this been like uh, since the NHL paused? Obviously, you had a long gap, and then and then the playoffs, and then now. How have you managed to sort of stay on top of things uh, in terms of your game and in terms of physically not able to go to Kelowna, but you and Afran have a program where you guys are still working, um, just using video and stuff like that. What's this been like for a goalie to be to be away from the game as much as you've been? Uh, it's hard to hard to answer that. You know, it's I think everything you do around the game helps and really shapes who you are on and off the ice video work is there like is there something that you can keeps you connected because we're looking at another big gap here is there something you think that can keep you connected or do you need to as much as interviews like this don't allow you to and i apologize but do you need to step away from it is that important for young goalies too to know when you need to take a break that it can't be 24 7 365 yeah yeah you know your your mind needs to uh your your mind needs a break and to relax because mental energy is is huge especially in goaltending when you need to stay ahead of the game um you, we definitely watch video but there is a time where you need to to just forget about a game or forget about stuff all right hey last one i promise uh how excited are you as much as the return to play and there was negotiation and all that the one thing that kind of came out of it was the olympics you've represented the united states of the world championships you you were at the World Cup, although on Team North America, um, which 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 must have been a hell of an experience. But how excited are you at an opportunity to to represent the USA on the big stage? Yeah, if I got that call, I would be honored to to wear the flag and represent the flag. And you know, it's hard to talk about the experience that I haven't had yet. So um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hopefully getting a chance at that. Hey, listen, uh, so Connor, I really appreciate the time. I know you've been inundated with with media requests and calls and text messages. So I just wanted to make sure I said thanks on behalf of our listeners. I know they're going to really enjoy this conversation and you know, the, uh, some really good takeaways there for young goalies in terms of the need to just just do the work and grind through to go from to go from stick and puck to uh, the Vesna Trophy, man. It's a hell of a run and a credit to you and all the work you do. Um, and all the people you surround yourself with. So thank you very much for taking the time uh, with us today. You're welcome. Take care. So a whole lot there. Uh, one, playing uh, forward or defense or playing out until 13 years old. Uh, uh, his hand position over the years and how uh, he rectified that game in the National Hockey League. But uh, there's there's a lot of jumping off points uh, from that conversation with Connor Hellebuck, Woody. Yeah, the hand one I thought was interesting because I remember you know a lot of people used to ask. I mean, he used to they were darn near near his ankles at times. He held that glove so low for so for so long, and I know you know Wade tried to to get him to bring it up, and and, and we didn't really get into it. But the story I'd been told is that when he was in college. They would literally do like a thousand chicken wing saves a day where you're, where you're kind of using your elbows. And nothing wrong with that sort of leaning in and using your elbow rather than using your hand. And they just drilled it and drilled it and drilled it to the point where it just became his first instinct, his natural reaction. And so the hands got a little lower. The hands got a little lower. He was relying on that save. And as you know, there are things you can get away with in the national or at, at maybe at NCAA level that you can't in the National Hockey League. And it didn't take long for teams to sort of look at where that hand was positioned and try and rip him top cheese. and 
you know, uh, I, I don't even know that that was necessarily a more vulnerable area. But when you show a potential vulnerable area and teams target it on a regular basis, goals are going in there. Yeah, I mean, if everybody's shooting high glove all the time, and we see this, actually, I see this a lot, like, as an aside, when I do the playoff scouting projects where I look at all the goals and it's like, ah, all these goals went up high glove because teams shot there more often. Most guys, their goal chart looks higher, high glove, but the save percentage is actually quite often a lot lower, low glove. Um, but teams just, that's so, there was an element of that, right? Teams saw the hands were low. They shot high glove a lot and you ended up with more high glove goals. That's just the way it's going to go. So, but eventually over time, he got the hands back up as he said to where they used to be. And, uh, now I don't think anybody has any questions about his hands or his glove position or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I don't think there are many questions about anything. And as you heard in the interview, um, it's because he puts the work in like that's that to me was the underlying theme. This guy's not afraid to work, whether it's at the NHL level making changes or coming out of high school who high school with no sort of prospects of where he's going to play next and going to stick and puck. Like nine years ago, this guy was going to stick that was and puck. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Just to go, you know. Who did that remind you of from one of our good interviews? Eric Comrie. Yeah. Com- yeah. Yeah. Another guy in the organization. Yeah. And that's uh, guys I that want stick it. and puck. Uh, at- at my desk, uh, the rink's down below, and I watch Dick and Puck, and I often think, should I go out there and just like work on a couple of things? Or, oh, I want video. Like, would it be, would it be goofy? And then you hear this. I mean, to- totally different things, but like guys have done it, and yeah. and and it's been an important part of their their games and their development. So what did you take away from that uh, discussion, Hutch? I, well, it's just you keep talking about the Stick and Puck. I I walked into a rink a couple summers ago, and they had one of these little tiny ponds that they create for the sort of three and four year olds to learn how to skate and there was a kid who was about six foot one a midget goaltender wearing nothing but his his lower body gear doing crease movement drills and i had to go in there and just introduce myself and tell him how impressed i was to see that he was taking advantage of the opportunity so great this is rubbing off on lots of people um for for me was when woody asked him about what the toughest transition was and i sort of expected I think most guys seem to tell us not that it's the one to the NHL. They seem to tell us it's going to American League or the first step to pro. And he was just so quick to say the National Hockey League. I agree. And then when he, I I just love the line that there's no drill you can do that can prepare you for the National Hockey League or something along those lines. And uh, and and I thought that was that was great. And how how nice too to just sort of casually be able to say that well you get in some games and sort of get used to things i mean most people aspire to that level um for that to be something that he can just just do uh, almost like a young kid hopping out on the peewee ice to get used to to some reads and things so uh yeah that 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 part really stood out for me but um i thought the whole interview uh was fantastic and uh great to see a little bit more inside and speaking of which there was a hint during the course of the interview uh, about why he wears the number 37, but wasn't formally answered. So we wanted to reach back into the vault and let you know from Connor Hellebuck himself why he wears the number 37. When I was growing up, I don't know how or why, I found old clothing and it was a big role model, hockey model for me. And um, I think it's because the 98 playoffs and the Wings played him. He was considered Godzilla, and he played unbelievable in that entire series, actually in the entire playoffs going up to that point. And I just think I idolized him, and 
love his nickname. And then I started collecting his cards and I collected his jersey cards. And to this day, I got about, well, I'd say 10 to 15 jersey cards and a pad card of them. Still, I'd like to meet him and hopefully one day I will. So that's cool. Like how an interview a couple of years ago, that soundbite that you just heard uh, from spending the time with him in uh, in the summer at uh, Net360 uh, just piggybacks onto being a Vesna Trophy winner. And if he would have known then, now, like I wonder if he ever projected himself uh, at the the top of the National Hockey League landscape. I mean, two-time Vesna Trophy finalist and a Vesna Trophy winner. It's amazing. And he wears the number 37 because of uh, that uh, fandom of Godzilla and and that great moment and that great run by Ole the goalie, Olaf Kulzik, uh back in uh, the late 90s. But he had to actually get permission to wear the number 37 when he made the National Hockey League with the Winnipeg Jets because the Jets came from Atlanta and the Atlanta Thrashers had uh, retired the number 37. Nobody was going to wear number 37 again because of the tragic death of Dan Snyder. So Connor Hallebuck and the Winnipeg Jets uh, reached out to the Snyder family and got permission for him to wear number 37. And now uh, that number with the Winnipeg Jets and uh, and the heels of uh, the Snyder family, it belongs to a Vesna Trophy champion and uh, winner. So just a, a little bit of a journey for both the goaltender himself and that number. And we all know how comfortable uh, players are and uh, how they, they love their numbers. Uh, the number 37 is now on the back of uh, the Winnipeg Jets goaltender and a Vesna Trophy winner. So a little bit of history there, Woody. Yeah, no, hey, and listen, I'm going to put Hutch on the spot here because yeah. that was such a good answer from Connor Hellebuck from our session up at Net360 on the number 37. And I think we know why it was a good answer because the guy asking the questions was not me. It was uh, your son, <laughs> Matthew, and it was our yeah, it questions either, with... Yeah. It was our questions with kids segments. And so now I'm going to ask you, put you on the spot. I need you to cue up the answer about what it's like to be in the stadium because that, we're going to give this a little bonus content here because that was one of the best answers I've ever heard Connor Hellebuck give and just what that sensation is like to play in front of 20,000 screaming fans in a whiteout in Winnipeg. You know what? You get used to it and you almost don't even realize it's there until that one moment where everyone just starts getting super loud and you can like feel the arena rumble and the only way that i can describe it to you is you'll get shivers and goosebumps running through you and down your spine it's the coolest feeling in the world that was one one of the best best answers answers yeah yeah it was one of the best answers we've had from anybody about anything i thought yeah so i wanted to slip that in and and then and now we sit there and we go he just came off an experience playing in front of nobody. Yes. <laughs> like, like, like the, 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 the yin and yang of this is, uh, is incredible over the last couple of years. And, and yeah, the, the energy that you feed off of a crowd and then, uh, playing in front of, uh, an empty stadium, boy, we've been, uh, we've been all over the place over the last day, year and a half, haven't we, uh, as a society and as a, as a goaltending, uh, world and just the sports world in general. It's crazy. It, it it is, and actually, if I if I'd been a better journalist, I would have had that that uh, clip queued up to play to him and ask him what it was like playing in front of no one. Ends up being a pretty good contract, though, uh, for the Winnipeg Jets six million dollars, a six year deal. So he's uh, approaching the halfway point uh, of that contract. But you you reward him uh, at the time, and pretty incredible. You're doing the math for him on 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 the contract right now, aren't you, Woody? 
No, I just, I'll be honest with you, Darren. I think he, I think they gave him a bridge deal or, or was that, what, did he sign that right out of the, right out of the finalist year? Yes. Okay. 2018. Okay. So a couple of years into it. Um, you know, it's really interesting uh, because that was a contract where there's an organization that had waited a long time to sort of find a guy, to find the guy. And they believed in him as the guy and they didn't want to take a risk of losing that. And so they locked him in long term. And this ties back to the conversation we started this whole podcast with about unrestricted free agency. When you, as much as everybody wants GMs to be careful and it's a buyer's market and, you know, you don't want to overpay, you want to be careful on term. When you find the guy, when you know he fits into your room, when you know he fits into your system, when you believe that he's the guy that can lead you to great things, you don't want to lose him. And so, you know, we talked about that game of chicken that some of these jams are, are playing right now with like, for example, Jacob Markstrom here in Vancouver. And you wonder, is, is, is the risk worth it when the chances you're taking is you could lose that guy? I, I was just going to say, Darren, you said it's a, it looks like a great contract for Winnipeg, and it absolutely is. But uh, I think that's a great example of a win-win contract, isn't it? I mean, if he went to market today, what's the number going to be? I think uh, I think that was sort of what we were talking about as being the the high watermark right now. And uh, so so it's fantastic when you see that both sides get something out of a great deal. Good scouting, good drafting, homegrown talent will always uh, allow you to uh, beat the system a little bit financially because you can grow with that instead of going out in the open market and paying for it. This year may be the exception, but uh, it certainly worked out with Craig Heisinger and Kevin Chevelday up in the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, thanks to uh, Cam and Connor for the conversations on this week's episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast. And now we look forward to uh, the conclusion of the Stanley Cup final and the start of free agency. And uh, if and when... Anton Hudobin will go by the way of the Dobie Bird. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 